0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. History has never recorded greater treachery, no more profound treason than that injured by Lucifered. Lucifer and his counterfeit Christ. And today we want to take a look at the trajectory of treachery. The trajectory of treachery. And if treachery were obvious, it wouldn't be treacherous, would it? Treachery becomes profound betrayal because it is perceived initially as dependable truth that can be trusted. And that's the reason, friends, why you and I as professing Christians need to be seriously aware of what is developing in our time. That's why we take such uh, tremendous efforts here on Viewpoint to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour and to reveal the deception that is taking place, the seduction that is taking place on our planet. Many of you have obtained a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception, which I wrote a number of years ago. Some have said it was the most important book they had ever come across other than the Bible because it was so practical that it actually helped people to really see why the Bible's warnings were so severe against the seduction and deception that would take place in these end times. In fact, as you recall, Jesus in his Olivet Discourse two days before his crucifixion was asked by his disciples on the Mount of Olives what would be the sign of his coming into the end of the age. And the very first thing out of his mouth was, take heed that no man deceive you. Then he went on to talk about wars and rumors of wars and all of these kinds of things. He said they're the beginning of sorrows. Then he went on to say, and please be aware that many will come in my name and deceive many. But he didn't leave it at that. He said, this gospel of the king will preach to the whole world, and then the end shall come. But, he said, I want you to know how great this deception is going to be. It's going to be so great that if it were possible, even the very small remnant elect would be deceived. In other words, Jesus was trying to make it plain to his disciples, this is not something to be toyed with. This is not something to be taken lightly. The Trajectory of Treachery, and we want to talk about that here today on Viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints, as you know, and today we're going to see what that might look like. So, we're going to attempt to trace the trajectory of the global trust generated by the counterfeit Christ, called the Antichrist. So at what point does profound trust degenerate into awareness of a deadly or pernicious deception? Can the pattern of the development and establishment of such a global trust be identified before betrayal becomes irreversible? And it commands all in our global sphere to eternal damnation. That's what we need to take a look at. And what, if anything, does the Bible, both New and Old Testaments, have to say such that you and I can, with a high level of certainty, identify the soon-coming imposter? Well, we have to pray and believe that the God of creation in Christ, as Lord of his church, will open our eyes, the eyes and hearts of our understanding, for the end of the age that Jesus talked about is at hand, right now. And if we don't believe that, if we don't understand that, if our eyes have not been opened to that revelation, then the rest of it kind of falls on deaf ears. So as with all counterfeits, the false is going to appear ever so real. But that's not going to be very difficult in our current false real world where our very wills have been inculturated to embrace the faults as a less costly alternative to the demands of the real. And the prophetic book of Daniel in the Old Testament, I think is perhaps the clearest and most concise expression of the character of the coming counterfeit, the Antichrist, the deceiver. Jesus spoke strongly of his compelling message in his own greatest prophetic discourse right there in the book of Matthew, chapter 24. And he said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, what's he talking about? Whoever reads it then, let him understand, Jesus said. So what then does Daniel reveal about the beast surrogate of Satan that might make him attractive to you and to the majority of mankind. That's what we want to take a look at here on Viewpoint today, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. As always, it's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And I trust that even as we inform here today, that the Holy Spirit will speak through the what is revealed and informed so that it will bring about a change of our minds and our hearts. And we're going to hear uh, a very dramatic presentation, about six minutes long, from uh, one of our listeners who sent this to me. Uh, It's not the listener speaking, but he has this recording. I'm not even sure who it is. But it's something that should grip our minds and our hearts concerning... Satan, because the Antichrist, the counterfeit Christ, is going to emulate Satan. In fact, one could actually say he's going to be virtually incarnating Satan. Much like Jesus was the incarnation of the Father, so the Antichrist is going to be, in a very similar way, the incarnation of Lucifer or Satan. Lucifer was his name. The sun of the morning, the bright and morning star. He was the anointed cherub that covered. He was the greatest, most beautiful created being ever in history. Created by God. But he let it go to his head. And because of that, He engineered a rebellion. He engineered a rebellion in heaven that took perhaps a third of the angels with him, and he was cast out into the earth. If I were to ask you a question, who governs the earth today, what would you say? Would you say God? Would you say Jesus? Well, would you like to know what Jesus said? Jesus said, Satan is the God of this world. Wow. Jesus said that Satan is the God of this world. Now, when Jesus was on the planet, you remember he said, I am the light of the world. But then he said, okay, now I'm ascending back to the Father, And because I'm ascending back to the Father, now you are the light of the world. On the other hand, Lucifer, who was the light, was given dominion over the planet because of Adam's sin. And where has that led us? We're going to find out. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. We'll be right back. Who do people on this planet worship? The majority of people, who do they worship? Do they worship God? No. Many believe in God, but they don't worship Him. And did you know that the devil believes in God? In fact, the Bible says that the devil believes and trembles. Do you know of any Christians that tremble at the word of the Lord? Do you know of any Christians that have today that have that concept of the fear of the Lord such that they tremble in his presence? I don't think so. In fact, we're we're actually being taught something quite different in the pulpits of America. But Satan not only believes in God, but trembles. You say, well, if he trembles then why is it that he would be carrying on this nefarious agenda treacherously and treasonously to combat God and to take human beings to perdition, destruction? Why would he do that? Well, pride will enable us to do a lot of things, friends. Oh, yes. And pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So let's find out a little bit more about this fellow Satan, formerly you referred to as Lucifer, also called the Deceiver. Anchor your seatbelts. Now let me just tell you a bit about the
2: devil first, so that you've got a clear picture in your mind of what we're praying against. First of all, the Bible does not paint him as a horned creature with a forked tail. That's the sort of thing that makes us laugh at him. Take him less than seriously. See, the Bible says he's a real person. The Bible never calls the devil it, always he. Next, the Bible says that he has a heart and a mind and a will. And if a heart and a mind and a will don't make a personality, I don't know what does. It talks about the devil's feelings, talks about his thoughts, and it talks about his motives. And that means to me a person. So the devil is not just... A kind of vague word to sum up all the forces of evil in the world. No, he is a person in his own right. And if there were no human beings at all, Satan would still exist. Now, Jesus himself took Satan desperately seriously. He never made a joke about him. He never laughed at him. He never caricatured him. Here are some of the titles that Jesus gave Satan. He said he is the prince of this world. When Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus did not say they are not yours to give, because he knew perfectly well they were Satan's to give. And it is a a horrible thought, if you really realize it, that the world in which we live is ruled over by Satan. He is the prince of this world, but let's take it a step further. Do you know another title Jesus gave to Satan? He said he's not only the ruler or prince of this world, he is the God ...of this world. The only other person beside his heavenly father to whom Jesus ever applied the word God was Satan. He said, my heavenly father is God of everything. But of this world, Satan is God, which means very simply, not only that Satan controls this world and is able to manipulate science and education and politics for his own ends. More than that, Satan is actually the real God whom most people on earth worship whether they know it or not. That behind so much religion, behind so much activity, Satan is the one who's being worshipped. He's the person. And even by some who go to church and chapel on Sunday, in reality, he's their God. For they worship the things that he offers them. They want the things of the world that he belongs to and rules over, rather than setting their mind on the things that are above where Jesus is. And if you want this world, and if you want the things of this world, then I give you a piece of advice. Make Satan your God. If you want this world, he's a wonderful God to have because he'll give it to you. There's always a price to pay. When the bill comes in, you may not be quite so happy, but he'll give it to you. He can give you money, he can give you fame, he can give you anything you want. Because it's his to give. Where have you been, Satan, says God, in the book of Job? Well, I've been patrolling the earth, I've been looking around my estate. And he had. Now let's get this clear. That doesn't mean that God is helpless in this world. It does mean, and we've got to think this through, that God is allowing Satan to be prince of this world and God of this world. He's allowed it. And people say, what does God think he's doing allowing that? Well, I would just say my only answer to that one is, what's he doing allowing you to be like you are? Why should you blame him for allowing Satan to rebel when he allowed you to? The answer is very simple. He's a father and he will not force any of his creatures to go his way. And he gives you freedom to rebel. We can't grumble about him giving the angels freedom, though they have superior intelligence and strength. Because he gave us the same freedom and we've used it in the wrong way. Do you know there are two books in the Bible that the devil hates? More than any other two books in the Bible out of all 66, There are two that say more about him than any others, and it's these that he has attacked more than any others. They are the one at the beginning and the one at the end, Genesis and Revelation. And you know why he hates them? Because Genesis describes his devices and Revelation describes his doom. And he hates those two books. And there has been more scholarly attack on the book of Genesis than any other book and more attempt to turn it into myth and legend and away from fact than any other book in the Bible. Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to believe that Genesis 3 ever happened. He doesn't want you to know how he got hold of Eve. He doesn't want you to believe that he said what he did to that first married couple. And he attacks the book of Genesis But the other book which he hates more than any other is the book of Revelation. Because as you read through that book, you come to a point where it says that the devil himself will be cast into the lake of fire. Do you know that Jesus told us to pray every day about the devil? Do you know that? The original prayer that he taught his disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, pray like this, say, Dad, in heaven, then pray for the things he wants. His name, his will, his kingdom. Then he said, pray for the things you need. You need food, you need forgiveness. Then he said, finish by praying this. Deliver us from the evil one. We've turned evil into a thing in our thinking. It's not a thing, it's a person. There's no evil anywhere in the universe apart from persons. Evil is an intensely personal thing. There's no love in the universe apart from persons who love. And so evil is personal. And Jesus said, pray daily, deliver us from the evil one. Start your prayer by thinking of your dad in heaven, but end your prayer by thinking of the devil on earth and go out to face him.
0: Well, the scripture says that we're not ignorant of his devices. Oh, but apparently we are. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices, but apparently we are because we yield to his devices just like Eve and Adam did in the garden. So we look at this complete historical pattern from Genesis chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 22. And between those pages, we find the trajectory of Satan's work. His treachery, how he has deceived so many, and that pattern of seduction and treachery, and how to avoid it, how it makes its way into our minds and our hearts, is set forth in my book called Seduction of the Saints. How to stay pure in a world of deception. It's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, Seduction of the Saints. You see... Unbelievers are condemned already. Did you know that? Jesus said that in John chapter 3. He said, the unbelievers are condemned already. The scriptures are written to professing believers, believe it or not. The warnings of scripture concerning deception and seduction and concerning Satan himself are all to professing believers. And because of the bad news, if we're deceived by Him, Jesus brought us the good news called the gospel. That if we would be reconciled to the Father through Jesus and would submit to God's word, will, and ways like Jesus did. Receiving his forgiveness and setting our lives on the complete trajectory of faith, then we would be saved. And Jesus said, he that endures to the end in that way will be saved. It's not a gospel of works. It's a gospel of grace through faith. The unfortunate thing is that we in this final generation before the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Mashiach. We have been seduced. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Seduced. And that's why I wrote the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. But if that be true, generally throughout history, the Bible tells us that it's going to be more true, in other words, that seduction, that deception is going to appear on steroids, shall we say, in this final generation before the second coming of Christ. In other words, if deception has always been there and has been strong, it's going to be doubled down, tripled down, as we approach the second coming of Christ. Before the first coming of Christ, the Father sent forth John the Baptist for a specific purpose, to prepare the way of the Lord. He said, make straight paths for your feet. Prepare the way of the Lord. Before the second coming of Christ, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4 that God, in his mercy and by his grace, will again send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. In other words, to prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what we're doing right here on Viewpoint today. That's what we're doing. And as we talk in more detail in the second half of the program today, we're going to find this amazing trajectory of treachery and how Lucifer, now known as Satan, the deceiver, the arch-enemy of God and of you, is going to operate, and is operating even as we speak. Some question whether the Antichrist is already here. Some question when he will come. Other people think, Well, we don't have to be concerned about this because we're all out of here anyway. That's what my pastor told me, they say. Well, if that be true, then why did Jesus warn believers about this problem? Why are all the warnings of Scripture to professing believers? Why did Jesus say to believers, he that endures to the end shall be saved? You see, it appears that we've already deceived ourselves. We have found a way to rationalize the idea that we don't even have to pay any attention to what God said concerning these times because we're out of here. It's commonly referred to as the pre-tribulation rapture. The word tribulation means pressure. Are you under pressure yet? Do you think our world is under increasing pressure right now? Do you think the coronavirus issue uh, has put the world under pressure? Do you think the issues with Russia and China and Iran and North Korea and all of this are putting the, the world under pressure? Oh, indeed. And you think you'll not have to deal with any tribulation, which means pressure? And what do you make of the thousands that are losing their lives in the name of Christ, for the name of Christ, all over the world? What do you make of them? Have they been removed before that happened to them? I don't think so. You see, we've engaged in theological deception, unfortunately. It was something sweet, something nice, something pleasant to believe. Do I believe in a rapture? Absolutely. I believe that God has not appointed us to his wrath, but the wrath of man the world has always had to experience. We'll be back. Stay tuned.
1: There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind.
0: Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. This is Satan's Hour, friends. This is Satan's Hour. Jesus said he is the God of this world, and so we have a choice, either to submit to him as the God of this world or to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and obey his word. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. But if you don't, you won't. That's the issue, isn't it? Because God told Satan, expect God told uh, Adam, you can eat of all the trees of the garden. I've created it all for you. It's a wonderful place. But of the tree in the middle of the garden, the knowledge of good and evil, no, you can't eat of that. Because in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Satan came along, the deceiver, Lucifer, who had been cast out, the God of this world, and decided he was going to take God's human being made in his image to task. So he asked a question. Hath God said? He has been so successful with that deceptive question that he's never had to change his modus operandi. Never. And he's asking you that same question in many, many different ways. He's asking me, he's asking all of us that question. Hath God said, hath God said what? Well, about any particular thing, hath God said. And then we purport to answer what God has said, and then Satan responds, yes, but. And begins to rationalize why God said it and why it might not necessarily be true and all of this. Isn't that exactly what we're prone to do? How many people, how many untold millions of people professing Christ have rationalized their divorces over the past uh, uh, years since 1968 when Ronald Reagan decided to make uh, no-fault divorce the uh, rule of the realm? How many millions have done that when God says, I hate it? God says, I hate it. Satan says to you, yes, but. And you say to God, but, Lord, you don't know my situation. Yes, I agree with you, but. You see, the problem with our lives is the big buts that we have. (laughs) That's right, big buts. And it gets in our way. And Satan uses the word but, or nevertheless, he uses that kind of thinking to gain dominion in our lives and to engage us in the trajectory of treachery. That's how he did it with Adam and Eve, and that's how he does it with us today. And he is so profoundly successful. And history has never recorded greater treachery, no more profound treason than that engineered by Lucifer and his counterfeit Christ to soon be manifested. So we want to take a look at what The prophet Daniel had to say about this surrogate, this beast surrogate of Satan. If Satan is a deceiver, then his surrogate, the Antichrist, is going to be a deceiver. If Satan comes in like an angel of light, then the Antichrist will come in like an angel of light and will be attractive to the majority of mankind, humankind, men, women, children. So, what does the prophet Daniel have to say about him? Well, let's take a look. First of all, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, he says he will speak great things. Now, some translations say pompous words. But, more likely, this imposter is going to speak in such a way that he almost miraculously commands the attention of the entire world. It's going to be amazing. He's going to be seen to have the golden tongue, or the silver-tipped tongue. And his words and his message are going to resonate as hopeful and eye-opening, just like the serpent, Satan, was to Eve in the Garden of Eden. She looked, she looked at that fruit, and she said, wow, It looks pretty good stuff. And so she took of it, gave it to her husband, and uh, he didn't want to disappoint her, so he took it. And together, they were seduced. And because of that, the relationship that God, the Father, the Creator, had with Adam and Eve was, was broken, destroyed. And Satan became the god of this world. He was able to gain dominion in this world, in the earth, because of Adam's treason. Adam was like the Benedict Arnold. Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. So, Satan is going to come on, this Antichrist is going to come on, with speech that's both powerful and persuasive to the entire world that's yearning for peace and unity. So what's the message that Joe Biden brought? Unity, unity. But has he conduct himself with a message of unity, with an actual attitude and behavior and uh, actions of unity? No, just the opposite. It was dece- Deception. Next, the prophet Daniel says in Daniel 8, chapter 24, that this counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, is going to, his power is going to be mighty. So the seeming global significance of his rise to power is going to be extremely convincing that he's a voice to be reckoned with and should be given trust. And because the condition of the earth is going to be such, the world, with such chaos and distrust, people are going to be prone to just throw their trust before the Antichrist. He's going to seem to be the best thing since sliced bread. The hope of earth. The promise of peace. Then in Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, we're told he, that is the Antichrist, will cause craft to prosper. He's going to be very crafty. Now, interestingly, though, if you think about it, people are prone to gravitate to those who seem particularly crafty, especially in the world of politics and political intrigue, right? Oftentimes those kind of people are cheered on. Our team versus their team. Political politics, political intrigue, being crafty. So, Historical hindsight is going to give proof that people are drawn to embrace leaders who are crafty so as to accomplish their own desired agenda. And that's exactly what this is going to happen. You see, Satan wants to accomplish his agenda. He has an agenda. He's the God of this earth and he intends to take you out notwithstanding the fact you may have made a profession of Christ sometime. He wants to destroy your trust and belief. He wants you to worship him. And ultimately, to take his mark, call the mark of the beast, as a means of testimony that you have yielded to his authority. That's what the Bible means in Revelation 13 when it says that all who take the mark will be deemed to be worshipping the beast. Now, one of the interesting things that Daniel says about this counterfeit Christ is in Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 and 24, that he will come in peaceably. When the world is in political and religious turmoil, like it is right now, and it's increasing, the people are going to look expectantly for a grand peacemaker. And they are. So, a European leader once reportedly said this. Listen carefully. He said, send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. Wow. Send us such a man who seems to be the grand peacemaker, and be he God or the devil, and we'll receive him. In other words, we're desperate. So the planet and its people are going to be desperately poised to be deceived in the pursuit of peace. This is pretty serious stuff. In Daniel 8, chapter 25, we're told that by peace, this counterfeit Christ figure shall destroy many. Well, who can resist peace? Men will cry, peace, peace, but there will be no peace. But it's through the pursuit of peace that he's going to de- destroy many. So who, who's not going to embrace the promise of peace when the world is facing seeming unprecedented explosion? Almost any sacrifice, even of human life, of a perceived minority, will be deemed worth the promise, right? So the world, Israel, many professing Christians, having rejected, whether in whole or apart, God's Prince of Peace, Jesus will be ready to embrace the faults as if he were real. Now here's another aspect about this. You see, if the Antichrist, the counterfeit Christ, the son of perdition, through the pursuit of peace will destroy many, you say, well, how could he destroy? Well, here's how. Now, you think that peace means peace for everybody. Not so. And when we get back from this break, perhaps your eyes will be opened as to what is really meant by the pursuit of peace and how many would be destroyed in the pursuit of peace. Stay tuned because this is going to be extremely important for you. We'll be right back.
1: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? But the same can be found right now. Go to SaveUs.org and click Sell Church. We can revive 1st century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's SaveUs.org. Click Sell Church.
0: Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Today we're talking about the trajectory of treachery as we take a look at some of the premier characteristics of the Antichrist, the son of perdition, the counterfeit Christ, who will emulate Satan. Uh, Satan will invest himself and all of his chicanery, all of his deception, in the appearance of light. Remember Satan, known as Lucifer, the light, Lucifer, the light, yeah, so he's going to appear to be an angel of light. So will the Antichrist. Initially. And through the pursuit of peace, he will destroy many. As we find in Daniel chapter 8, verse 25. So, how could that be? Well, here's how. Listen carefully. You see, if you look at the Theology of peace today, maybe that's not the right word, theology. If you look at the belief of what is necessary to bring peace on earth today, what is it? It's that everybody agree. Everybody agree to what? Well, everybody agree ultimately to the necessity for a one-world order, a one-world government, because it's going to be absolutely necessary and that all religions offer something good for the people, and therefore we need to meld them together to avoid wars over religion, so we will bring them together and come up with a compound religion, a belief system, that everybody can embrace. Therefore, we will have peace. With multiculturalism, religious pluralism, political correctness, all of these things will now be universalized for all people. You say, well, how about Christians? How about many of the Jewish people? Well, that's exactly the point. You see, Because true followers of Christ will not go along. Just like the three Hebrew young men in the book of Daniel, who stood up against Nebuchadnezzar and refused to bow down to his golden idol of himself, and were thrown into the fiery furnace, just as that happened there, so it will be with the Antichrist. Professing Christians and Orthodox Jews will be required to bow down. Well, isn't that exactly what's happening with the coronavirus? You will receive the vaccine or else. Your kids won't go to school. You're not going to be able to go to work. You're not going to be able to fly on an airplane. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that and multiply out ultimately You won't be able to function, and there comes the mark, the infamous mark of the beast. So, what happens to those who refuse to capitulate, who say, no, my allegiance is not to a one world order, my allegiance is not to a counterfeit Christ, is not to this uh, false uh, peace uh, effort. My allegiance is to the Prince of Peace. Jesus, what will happen? You must be removed. The New Agers have a phrase, two words that describe what they have already decreed must happen to those who refuse to embrace this new system. It's called the selection process. What it really means is you will be selected out. In other words, you will be removed either by force or threat of force or by execution because you will be deemed to be an enemy of peace. So through the pursuit of peace, he will destroy many. Indeed, he will. Now, how could that possibly be if you're already out of here? You see the problem, the falsity of the pre-trib rapture doctrine? It renders all of the warnings of God in his word, all of them, meaningless or moot. That all the warnings are to believers, all of them. Otherwise, Jesus wasted his words. The Apostle Paul wasted his words. The Apostle John, the Apostle Peter, they all wasted their words. They didn't know what they were talking about. And this is why the Bible talks about the patience of the saints. In other words, standing and having done all to stand in the evil day. Now, the last item we want to talk about concerning what Daniel has to say about this fellow, the counterfeit Christ, is that he will obtain his kingdom by flattery. Daniel chapter 11, verse 21. Now, that shouldn't come as a surprise because politicians, in fact, many pastors, unfortunately, thrive on flattery. They tell the people what they want to hear. Flattery involves false exaggeration of another person or group dishonest or insincere expressions of uh, love or favor, and just plain telling people what they think they want to hear. And the Apostle Paul, remember, he warned of this form of spiritual seduction. When he was describing the perilous times of these last days, he uh, talked of those who will, after their own lusts, heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So the nature, the very nature of this kind of promotional flattery in a false real world is not difficult to comprehend. We can understand it. Either the motivation to flatter or to receive deceptive flattery. In fact, remember Burger King? Burger King told us exactly what it's about. Gotta give the people what they want. Have it your way. So... God, as a loving Father, though, warns of that destructive nature of flattery. In fact, he says a lying tongue hates those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. So, these are some of the premier characteristics. They're not the only ones, but these are ones that the prophet Daniel lays out. And, Right now, we're at the final fulcrum over which the trust of the world is going to be confirmed, or conferred with little reservation upon this clever counterfeit. He's going to be seen like a a virtual savior, a man having accomplished the seeming impossible. He's going to wow the world, including most Jews, Christians, and even Muslims. The 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 sheer spectacular effects of his achievements are going to bring immense glory to his person and profound gratification to the people of the planet, particularly in the Western world. And then, as this kind of glory is bestowed on him, he's going to come to an unrestrained, nearly unrivaled power. It will be as if he were God in the flesh. In fact, he's going to speak as if he were God in the flesh. And the world is going to confer upon this imposter savior a level of near absolute trust, as if he and his empire were an absolute monarchy, even though his power is acquired demonically. He's going to receive near total deference from world leaders and governors, who are going to be conscripted without any resistance to do his will because he's going to be perceived as providing for the best interests of the whole planet. You may recall a friend by the, a fellow by the name of Nimrod in the Old Testament there in Genesis chapter 11. He led the people after uh, the flood and Noah's family had left the ark and they had multiplied on the face of the earth And a fellow by the name of Nimrod came along. He was great. And he had such power that was reposed in him that they were building a tower to reach under heaven. He had massive authority. And God looked down on what he was doing. And he said, no way. I'm not going to let this happen. So he confounded their language. But ever since then, Humankind has been trying to rebuild the Tower of Babel in one way or another. And what's happening right now, through the so-called global reset, which is a euphemism for a one-world government, it is building a governmental system to allow humankind to reach their penultimate success and save themselves without God. And that is what this supreme uh, manifestation of Satan is going to do. He is going to, ever since Nimrod, no person has ever had such power reposed in him as this anti-Christ figure will have. And it's going to happen very quickly. Massive authority, and it's going to be utterly breathtaking. Utterly Breathtaking. And ultimately, after about three years, when he gains the dominion and he's worked deceitfully to resurrect the ancient Roman Empire, the final beast empire of the earth, then this man, in whom Satan has invested himself to become like God, is going to stride pompously into a rebuilt temple that's been long desired by the Jews worldwide and declare himself God. On the very mount of God called the Temple Mount. It's amazing. Talk about a movie. So it's going to move from treachery to great tribulation. Oh, there's going to be tribulation during that first uh, period. But that's not the Great Tribulation. In fact, the Bible doesn't even use the word tribulation to describe the first three and a half years or so of that period. But Jesus did talk in Matthew 24 about a Great Tribulation. That's where the treachery is multiplied, where Satan comes out of the closet through uh, his counterfeit, Lucifer, a.k.a. Satan, that is also known as Satan, the deceiver, the serpent, through his beast empire and his counterfeit Christ. And history will never have recorded greater devastation and destruction than what will follow in his effort to finally usurp the very throne of God that's already prophetically promised, declared by the Father to be the seat of his son, Jesus Christ. you want to know where that's talked about, just go to Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It's amazing. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain and foolish thing? The kings of the earth rise against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their bands asunder. Yet God is going to laugh at them and have them in derision because he has promised and prophesied his son to set upon his holy hill, the Temple Mount. So Jesus said, when you see this abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, then is going to be great tribulation, such as is not since the beginning of the world to this time known or ever shall be, and except those days, could be shortened. There would no flesh be saved. So, Don't you think it behooves us to carefully consider how this ultimate conflict of kingdoms is going to connect with the life of professing Christians, that is you and me? That's why we're talking about it. And I urge you to get a copy of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter*. It will open your eyes, and I trust your heart. It's a $22 book. On our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, call us 1-800-SAVE-USA, write to us at Save America Ministries, at $5 for postage and handling. Also consider Seduction of the Saints. Together, they perform the duo that will bring life to you for times like these.